thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Uh, Something we're doing over the next year or two is every Friday uploading an old sermon to the podcast. We have about a year and a half worth of recorded sermons that were preached before we had a podcast, so we want to archive those onto the podcast. So every Friday, enjoy one of our old sermons. These will be uploaded until such time as we have them all archived. So enjoy this sermon um, from the past. service was one dead ritual, and I wrote it all out. And my plan was, leave it on the doorstep when no one's there, and never show my face there again. Thankfully, I decided to share the letter with a female friend of mine. Um, I was hoping she would think I was really holy when she read it. She did not think it was a good idea, and she did not think I was really holy, and she told me that. Um, she told me I needed to think about not doing this. And praise God I didn't. 
I've still got the letter today to remind myself of where I once was. Um, I was an immature kid who thought he knew it all. No, no complaint I had against my home church was really anything biblical. You know, they, they weren't teaching the Bible is not the Word of God. That They weren't handling snakes. I want to clear that up since it's Kentucky. Um, it, it, it was all just, you know, I don't like the music you're playing. I don't like the pastor's preaching. Translation, I don't like the church God currently has me at. So let me tell him what I think about it. We do that a lot. Not, not just with church. We've got a lot of opinions about what God needs to do with our lives. And if He refuses to live up to those opinions, we get mad at Him. Like He has done us something wrong. We'd never say that out loud, but we think we know more than God does about our life. And we've got no qualms with acting like we know that much. Solomon is, is going to deal with this tendency in us in, in Ecclesiastes 5. Um, he's going to deal with this, this tendency in all of us. Um, remember, Ecclesiastes is, is wisdom literature. He's trying to help us understand how to live well in the world. How to live well in God's world. And up to this point, Solomon has talked a lot about the vanity of life. He's, remember, I told you that, that if your translation says meaningless, that's not really the, the correct word. It's vanity. It's this idea that it's here one second, it's gone the next. It's, it's like a puff of smoke. One, here one minute, gone the next. Um, nothing in life ultimately gives ultimate meaning. So you should enjoy it as a gift from God. He said that life will ultimately come to an end. So you should recognize it's an ebb and flow. And learn how to live appropriately in each of those seasons that life brings your way. And he said that the world is ultimately broken. And in the broken world, whether you're a king or a servant, you end up dead. So you can either spend life accumulating for yourself and then die and lose it all. Or you can spend your life serving others and sharing what you have. Tonight he's going to turn to the topic of, of, of how we worship God. So, chapter 5, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that, that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business, and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let your, not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hand? For when dreams increase and words grow, many let me let me read that again. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Now, if you're anything like me and 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 it's been the case with, with every passage I've I've prepared to preach from Ecclesiastes, I read that and I'm like, okay, what do I do with that? 
because I can't really find a flowing theme here. So, so, so let me help you understand what's going on in these seven verses, and then we'll talk through them. So um, verses 1 through 3 is, is a single thought, and verses 4 through 7 is a single thought. And they're both going on the same pattern. Verse 1 and verse 4 um, make a statement about how we approach God, how we worship God. Um, verses 2 and then verse 5 and 6 have a statement about um, its wisdom regarding words and how that flows from, what we, from how we worship. And then verse 3 and verse 7 um, have some kind of comment about dreams. Um, it's a proverb regarding dreams. So I'm going to kind of focus mostly on verses 1 through 3 and then make a few comments on 4 through 7. Um, so, first of all, the first idea, approaching God. Solomon has wisdom for how we approach God. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Um, a, there's a former pastor, he's now a, just kind of a missionary out in California, his name's Francis Chan. And one of his churchgoers once came up to him after a service and he said, you know, I didn't really like the worship today. And Francis Chan responded, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. And Solomon says something similar here. He, he says, come into God's house rightly. That is, don't come into God's house looking for um, you know, my, thing to be, my, my preferences to be pleased. Come into God's house to listen. That, that's what he says. Draw near to listen. That they were literally approaching God when they came into the temple. But understand that we, the temple in the Old Testament, God was actually in that place. In the very center of the temple, there was the Holy of Holies, and God was in that place. He was there. So when they came into the temple, they were coming into God's presence. Now, there was only certain people who could get inside the Holy of Holies, but they were in the same building as God. So Solomon tells them, come in rightly. Come into the house of God appropriately. Approach Him in the right way. Well, Sometimes we don't come to God to listen. Sometimes we come to Him to tell Him what we think. Um, you, you think of the story in the, in the Gospels when, when Jesus is um, in the home of Mary and Martha. And He's teaching. And Mary is sitting at His feet listening. And Martha is like running around trying to cook dinner. And she's, you know, grabbing pots and pans. She's trying to throw all this stuff on the stove. And, and she sees her sister sitting at the feet of Jesus. And she's like, what is wrong with her? I need some help in the kitchen in here. So she goes up to Jesus and she says, Jesus, tell my sister to get in here and help me. And Jesus says, we'll worry about that later. Your, your sister is the one in the right place here. Because she's listening. We, we often will... Um, quote passages and, and, and try to make them say what we want them to say. Um, what, one of the biggest ways we do this is Jeremiah 29 11. For I know the plans I have you, says the Lord, plans um, to give you a future and a hope, um, not to harm you. And we'll take that, and, and we don't necessarily care what God has for us unless it's in line with what we have for us. So the way we would actually quote, if we we're honest, is For I know the plans I have for me. Says the, says the Lord. Um, 
you know, we would take that and we would make that up. That's what that's about. We, we, we don't come, sometimes we don't come to the scriptures and read what it says and obey it. We, we come to the scriptures and we twist it to make it say what we want it to say. This, this is the tragedy of the um, American dream is that we have our own plans for our life and we're set on that plan and God better not change it. So we want the nice house with the picket fence and the red door and the blue shutters and tire swing in the, in the um, tree. And, and we want two and a half kids with, with a dog and we, we want um, to, be, to have all these different things. And that's our plan. And if anything changes, we're just going to have a wrecked life. And often it does change. Often we don't want what God has for us, which may not be good. He may use things in our life to shape us into a, into a person in ways that we don't really want. You see, the, the American dream doesn't account for the cancer diagnosis at age 30. The, the American dream doesn't account for when you unexpectedly have to take care of your dying parent for 10 years and pause your plans. God has things for us that we may never be able to fit into the plans of our life but we don't get to come to him and tell him exactly how our life is going to be planned out, and he better listen. No, we, we come to him and humbly submit ourselves to him and listen to what he has for us. And it may not be something we want, but he knows what he's doing. He's in control of our life, not us. So we should watch our steps when we approach God. That's what he says in verse 1. We should watch our steps. We should come to him listening to what he says, not expecting him to listen to us. To, to listen is to be ready to obey. That's the difference. Some people um, don't really want to listen to God. They're just kind of interested in what God has to say. So they're ready to hear what he has to say, but they're not necessarily going to obey it. That's not listening. Listening is hearing what he's going to say and obeying, being ready to obey it. There's a story in 1 Samuel 3 where um, Samuel's a boy and, and he keeps hearing a voice. Hey, Samuel, come here. So he runs into his, um, it's slipping my mind, it's either his father or his mentor. And he runs into the bedroom and he says, you called me, what do you want? He said, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. He does this three times. And, um, and finally the person says, hey, when it happens again, just, just say, here I am, Lord. Your servant is listening. And, and that's what it is. It's, it's not, hey, I hear you. It's, hey, I'm listening. Tell me what to do. Tell me what my step is. Tell me what I'm supposed to do. We should come to God. We shouldn't come to God making the sacrifice of fools. That, that's what he says. He says they're doing evil and they don't even know it. They're, they're coming to God and they're making these sacrifices, hoping they're going to get what they want. And they're not listening. They're not submitting themselves to God. They're trying to get their own way. He's contrasting coming to God and listening, and then coming to God and not listening, coming to God for something else. And he gives an example of that in verse 2, and that's where we move into words, wisdom about words. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. You know, we um, often if we do something... Often if we say something that is, you know, not nice, if we say something that comes off really harsh to somebody, if we say something, something that hurts someone's feelings, 
um, and, and we meant it. Often we'll kind of apologize and try to cover up our, our mistake by saying, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that wasn't really me. But yes, it was. The words that come out of our mouth express what is inside of us. They do. Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of him that defiles him. The, the words that come out of our mouth show what is in our heart. And our words reflect how we worship God. How we worship God will determine the words that come out of our mouth. And he says here, don't be quick to speak to God. These, these guys in verse 1 are coming in. They're making sacrifices of fools. They're coming in. They're saying all kinds of words, trying to get God to, to, to listen to them. But the, the counsel Solomon gives us is, come in and, and don't use your mouth. Just, just listen. Just listen. Let your words be few. Because when you have many words, you don't listen. When you're constantly talking, you're not listening. When, you're, when, you're, when you can't stay silent and listen, you, you're usually talking too much. If you're constantly telling God what you think, but never listening to what He says, you're approaching God wrongly. It's why um, I so often emphasize, you've you got to read the Bible. You have to. There's so many Christians in America who respect the Bible, but don't read it. Respecting the Bible but not reading it doesn't get you anywhere. You've got to read the words that He says and listen to them. And hear them. And obey them. Certainly there's times when God speaks to us, you know, in our spirit. Certainly there's times that God speaks to us through circumstances. But God has spoken to us in this book. And we've got to read it and listen. We've got to hear what He says. If, if you're constantly telling God what you think, but never listening to what He says, you're approaching God wrongly. We do this a lot in prayer. Um, we, we, for some reason, think that, that a prayer that is five seconds long is weak, but a prayer that's five minutes long is really holy. You know, like, like if somebody is standing in church and they just say, Lord, bless this food. Amen. Like, that guy's a doofus, but if a guy stands up here and prays for five minutes, even though we fall asleep, we think it's a really holy prayer. But, but the length of the prayer isn't what makes a prayer good. Um, we, we see examples in the Bible of really long prayers and really short prayers. You know, so King David prays a whole chapter of the Bible in 2 Samuel 7. Actually, half a chapter. Um, in Acts chapter 6, before Stephen gets stoned, he prays eight words. And they're both incredible prayers. We may be tempted to think that if we pray longer, or with more words, our prayers have a better chance of getting answered. We, we do this sometimes where we'll be praying, and, and you know, we use the word just a lot. You know those types of prayers? Lord, just, just be with us today, and just come into this place, and just come and help us, and just do this, and just do that. Just, 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 just. And that's, that's a joke. That's not picking on anybody. That's, just, that's more done out of nervousness, honestly, than, than, than trying to get God's attention. Um, but on a more serious note, Matthew 6, when Jesus is giving the Lord's Prayer right before He gives it, He says something. Um, Matthew 6, verse 7 and 8. He says, When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
So what we do is we tend to think, you know, if I can just say enough words, it'll be like a magic bullet to get God to listen to me and give me what I want. But that's not the case. Jesus says, don't use empty words. Don't do like the Pharisees do. When, when we do this sort of thing, often it's because we think um, we, we want that thing and we think we should get it. And sometimes we're after what we want more than we're after intimacy with God. We're after what we want more than just listening to God and hear, hearing what He tells us. Solomon says, God is in the heavens and we're on the earth. He understands our lives better than we do. He, he knows our entire story. God is in all time. So He knows He's there when I was, when I was born and He's there when I die. He, he's, he can see my entire story right now. I can't see it yet, but He can see it. He knows it. He knows what we need. He's simply looking for a heart that trusts Him. So listen to Him. Listen to Him. Let your words be few and listen. Maybe we do this sort of thing because we haven't realized who God is. Um, Hold your spot in Ecclesiastes and turn to Isaiah 6. This is probably a passage you're familiar with. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with his tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Sometimes we don't listen to God because we don't understand who he is. And and Isaiah here sees the Lord, and he fully understands who he is. And and how does Isaiah respond? Does he say, all right, God, here's my list of stuff. Can you give it to me? No, he he falls on his face and says, I'm done for. I've seen him. I'm done for. I I can't last anymore. I'm done for. I've, I've seen the Lord of glory, and I don't measure up, and I'm not even close. This is how so many people in the Bible responded to God when they saw Him. Whether it was Isaiah, Ezekiel had it, John had it, Peter had it. I mean, so, so many people, when they saw God, they fell on their face. And they said, I'm done for. That they, they were in a position to listen to Him. Not, not tell Him what, what they want. We, we don't walk up to the God of glory and say, alright, here's my list of stuff. Santa Claus, give me this stuff. That's often how we treat God. Hey, here's my plan for my life. Go make it happen. But that's not listening to the Lord. 
we also tend to do this in our day with social media. I've, I've got some friends from seminary now working in Washington, D.C. They're really involved in politics and, and various places like that. Because of that, I see a lot of articles circulating Facebook. How should Christians respond to this? How should Christians respond to that? Um, how should Christians respond to the missile crisis? How should Christians respond to the grain shortage in Mumbai? How should Christians respond to Kmart going out of business? Maybe we don't need to respond to everything. Maybe we don't need a response for every single thing that happens. Now, we should certainly be engaged in our culture. We should have a voice in every sector of society. But how should we respond to the missile crisis? Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I just shouldn't. Is there anything I can really do about it? I mean, I'm a 5'11 wimp with zero military experience and zero connections in the government. What can I do about the missile crisis? I'll leave it to the Christians who are in that sector of society to deal with that. I don't have to respond to that. Now, if there's some kind of tragedy here in Chula, we respond to that. Because that affects the people that we know as well, the people that we're a part of.